Welcome back, everybody. This is the Card Chronicle podcast. It's the morning of Friday, October 28th. Mike Rutherford's here in Louisville, Kentucky. Dan Sennard in Columbus, Ohio. Getting close to Halloween. Dan, where are the kids going ass? Are the Sennards all fired up? They are fired up. Um, we got uh, Cam uh, going as a vampire, so classic vampire. He's pretty excited about it. My nice. little daughter, Lila, is going as a witch, and then... Our uh, baby girl Mallory is going as a little lamb, so uh, we uh, we got the basis covered here. But it's like rained or snowed on like their last four trick or treats, so I'm really crossing my fingers for them that uh, they get some decent weather this year. But what do you guys? Uh, what's VA and John John going as? One, that's why you don't move to Columbus. I don't feel sorry for you. Yeah. Two, uh, Virginia is well. She's been Daisy Duck. She was Daisy Duck for Boo at the Zoo. She was okay. a witch for – we had Trick or Treat at Brown Park, which is right by our house. So she's kind of going back and forth. But we – I think for actual Halloween, she's going to be Daisy and John's going to be Donald. So th- we did that for Boo at the Zoo. It was pretty cute. They liked it. Um, we've got the – I mean, nowadays, like, kids have, like, 15 trick or treats before the yeah. actual trick or treat. We've got, like, the trunk or treat at her school tonight. And I think she's going to be witch for that. She hasn't really decided. But – these kids just get loaded up with fucking candy like all month. It's become a, it's, it's like Christmas now. It's a month long festivity, but I, don't I, I like have never, I mean, this, I sound like a Debbie Downer. I feel like you're a bigger Halloween guy. I was never huge on Halloween. Um, I don't know. I always was the dumbest, like one year. I mean, geez, I'm going to pour through some of my, my Halloween. One year I was John Crook. Um, <laughs> Like, I stuck a pillow in my stomach and painted a beard on and threw on a Phillies hat with, like, a long wig. And then, uh, yeah, one year, like, I'll never forget, it was, like, eighth grade, and I was like, oh, yeah, we're dressed up and going out on Lake Forest. So I was like, oh, sweet. And I show up as a clown, and no one even else, like, dressed up. It was, like, literally, <laughs> like, I was like, oh, like, I guess people are, like, cool now, I'm fucking not. And it's like, and then someone ended up throwing an egg at me, so, uh, <laughs> so that was fun. So, yeah, not the, up, best, not the best Halloween memories for old Dan. You dressed up in eighth grade? That's too old. I know, I know. I can't, like, I swear to God, it might have been my mom who was, like, was dressing up. <laughs> As and a then clown. I, like, showed up. Literally, I was like, what the fuck is this? Nobody's dressed <laughs> up. <laughs> I always had like I always had outside the box Halloween costumes. I was uh like I was Santa Claus one year, I remember. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was uh I was Snoopy one year. I got on the news at Boo at the Zoo. Nice. Um I was the year that the uh, baseball was on strike. I was a baseball player on strike. I had like a picketing sign. Um, but my mom always, like, she always made the costumes herself and she was really into it. I was, I was kind of like you. I wasn't as into Halloween. I'm probably more into it now. Like, I think adult Halloween was a lot of fun. Like college Halloween was the fucking best. Um, yeah. But as a kid, I wasn't, uh, I, I was kind of like you. I wasn't as into it as I think everybody else was. Mary claimed earlier this month that she likes Halloween now more than Christmas as an adult. Like there's, okay. well, that's, I know, that's... like. Pump the brakes a, a bit. Does it? Mary like gets Christmas ready like two months in advance. I don't believe that statement. She well, she's like, there's more stuff to do with the kids. There's like less stress. Like the like the build up is like you know they trick or treat for like thirty minutes or an hour to get candy. It's not like traveling everywhere and getting everybody together. Like I do agree with the less stress part, but I don't yeah. agree with the it being better overall. 
I know. I'm like acting like I do all this work for Christmas when my wife like does it all. So um, I, I do feel Mary's pain there. But um, yeah, it's it's for the kids. We do it for the kids. We do it for the kids. So we're excited about that. We did have also uh, John turned one yesterday. It yeah, was a... that's right. God, that went so fast. My God. The, the weird thing was like you expect the parents to say that. Like, you know, Mary and I, for us, obviously, it feels like we just left the hospital like two months ago, not 12 months ago. But the amount of people that have said the same thing to me, like, in the last 24 hours kind of blows my mind. Like, everybody who's texted has been like, I can't believe it's already been a year. Like, I'm, I feel like that, like, your kid, I feel like was just, it should be five months old. I'm like, I'm glad it's not just us. I don't know what's, if there's like a time warp or what's going on, but it definitely feels very, very, just this year just flew by. Um, but we had a, a good birthday for John John. He's excited. He's fired up for this uh, this Wake Forest game this weekend. And it did remind me that when, you know, because I, I can't just do anything normally. So when I, I put the social media post out there about John being born last year, I had to make some shitty joke like I did with Virginia. And the, the joke I made was, you know, John came into the world, blah, 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 at 656. And, you know, he immediately asked how Wake Forest could possibly run <laughs> a, a, a run play in less than 3.8 seconds uh, back in, and all like everybody got the joke but all these Wake Forest fans were like this motherfucker's thinking about Wake Forest when his kid's being born I'm like yeah I'm not I that's it's it, it, it clearly a joke I, I wasn't like it was I'm not cutting the umbilical cord and being like Clawson like you guys are not on my mind that much I'm making a shitty joke but it did get me fired up for this weekend's game because I, I don't care for Wake Forest. I don't like their fan base, and I'm ready to hopefully knock off the top ten teams you, in the country. You have a better gauge of this. I mean, does Wake have, like, a, a large fan base following that, like, read, like, opponents' blogs or listen to opponent, like, radio show or podcast? I just wouldn't think that they would, even though, I mean, obviously their football team is – vastly improved over the years um that, that surprises me that you got people in your dms just hounding you about shit they don't I, I, don't, I don't i think it's one of the smaller fan bases in the acc but the fans that they do have are fucking annoying as shit <laughs> like that's that's what i've learned in almost a decade of being an acc fan uh but we're gonna get there we got we obviously the elephant in the room we did not have a podcast last week um it was our bye week. Cards were on a bye. We were on a bye. It was our bye week. Yeah, well, we the cards weren't on a bye week last week. We played or not. Middle. I mean, the, the week before. <laughs> there was a, you know what I mean. There was no lead up. Uh, or no we game did, to recap. We did an episode on the bye week, but we did not do a, do one before the pit game. We both you know, made 24 to 10 was our prediction. We didn't get it out there. There's a... There's a C minus joke right at the beginning of the, the podcast episode. We're coming out hot today, yeah. uh, but we did we did not get predictions in for the game. But I, I will admit, I was not overly confident about that game. Uh, it was nice to see us get the victory. I, I guess we can just talk broadly to start off here. So Louisville does you know, they they knock off a pit team that had not started the season as strongly as we thought they were going to. The reigning ACC champions, but still. It hadn't been terrible. They were four and two. They were coming off of a uh, pretty dominant victory over Virginia Tech. They've got a All American running back. They've got an All American defensive lineman. A defense that was pretty good overall. And Louisville, the defense shuts down Pitt. The offense does enough to pull off a twenty four to ten win. And now here we are, staring down these last five games that we've been talking about all season with maybe a little bit of hope. So we were all woe is me after the Boston College loss. We all I think said the same thing that we, that we did on this podcast as fans, which was, it feels like this is 
coming to a logical end. It feels like this is not salvageable at this point. My question to start this off is, has your viewpoint changed? Like, where are you right now with Scott Satterfield? Where are you right now with this program as we enter a end-of-the-season stretch that features four top 25 opponents in five games? I said I wasn't going to go back to the old me, but God damn it, Scott is really trying to pull me back. I know it's only a couple wins in a row, um, and then I just kind of look ahead, and NC State, they seem like they're very gettable. Um, obviously James Madison, they, you know, they, they took a loss here in the last week or two, two um, losses. Yeah. Two losses. So, I mean, it, it kind of looks like things like, although it would have been fun to like play these ranked teams. Um, and we know like that, you know, they're obviously not going to be pushovers, but it's like, all right, maybe there's a path here. I mean, and, and this just makes this game, um, feel all the more crucial, it's weird. Like, I feel like I, there's been so many games where I, I want to put like losses on the coaching staff. Um, that when we come out against Pitt and look like we do, like I need to give the coaching staff more credit for how they perform. Like, when in reality, I'm like, God, does Pitt suck? But I'm like, well, I mean, they they did they just housed Virginia Tech. Like you said, their running back looked amazing and. And I mean, God, our defense looks so good. Credit to Brian Brown, um, you know, and our offense. Like you said, they did enough. So, can, yeah, can I stop I mean, you real quickly? Be, so, yeah. the, the best because you mentioned Brian Brown's defense. My favorite rumor going right now. I don't. Even, I don't even know if you've heard this all the way up in Columbus, but people are are, are talking down here, and you know what they're saying? They're saying Scott Satterfield's been calling all the defensive plays the last two weeks. Oh God, is well, this now? Scott's D. <laughs> Scott's D. Yeah. Scott's uh, D has changed everything. Scott's D is in your face. Scott's D is aggressive. Scott's D is effective. Scott, Scott's, Scott's D. Scott's D will penetrate you. Scott's, Scott's D is going to save Louisville football. And that's where we are right now. Satter, Satterfield, you know, he, the offense was doing enough at the beginning of the year. The defense wasn't. And he was like, you know what? Taking over defense, I'm taking over special teams. If I was Satterfield, I would just be taking credit for all this too. I know, like, seriously, yeah. Like Turner makes like five field goals next game. He's like, "Well, I did call the special teams today." Uh, He's made ten in a row now. He's like, "That was the difference," you know. Yeah, yeah just need a little Scott touch, a little Scott, Scott special teams. You no, know I, I mean seriously though. Like, I, I, I thought it was a, a a very like there were some play calls there in the first quarter where I was like, "Oh God," um, but. I don't know. It seemed like maybe Scott had like a feel for the game, like it might be sort of a a defensive struggle, and and maybe he was just being a little more conservative. That's what I want, you know. That's the uh, nice part of me thinking that. But for the most part, I I, I thought it was a a well coached game. Um, and it, I mean, we can talk about it. I'm sure you talked about it all week on your radio show, but it seems like Yasir's really really coming into his own and kind of yeah. butting out into like a defensive star that was just an absolute beast of a, of a performance yeah I mean Yasir Abdullah I think I said it on Twitter that night I think it was probably the best individual defensive performance by Cardinals since like Jair Alexander that game that he played at Clemson in 2016 yeah. like I can't remember a better one I, I know that there have been some good ones in recent years but Yasir was he was everywhere let me workshop a because I almost made this joke on Twitter, and I thought better of it. But I almost at one point said, he's just here, he's you there, he's you every fucking where. And I was like, 
I was like, is that good? I liked it. Yeah, that was pretty good. I couldn't tell if it was good or not or just terrible. Might not have come through on the bird, but. Yeah, it may not. You know, it's one of those maybe just better spoken. So I held off, but he was, he really was. He was every fucking where in that game. It just seemed like even the plays that he made that he didn't get credit for in the box score, he was pressuring quarterbacks he was in the right place at the right time he was he was everywhere and he was an absolute beast yaya diaby was also fantastic in the game and look this is what scott's d does like like this is just it's who he is it's what he does i love that how much the conversation has flipped from remember like, after the virginia game because the announcers kept saying you know lance taylor's calling the plays now and it's all flipped and you know all these louisville fans were like the offense looks so much different under Taylor. And then after the game, like Satterfield is basically like, he's like, surprise, Austin. It was me. It was me all along. Like he straight up says like, I'm calling the plays. He's like, he's like, I've been calling the plays all year. I called the plays at the beginning of this game when they sucked. I called the plays in the second half when they were working. It's all me. And you know, now with the defense playing well, people are like, people hate Brian Brown so much. They're like, I've heard Satterfield's calling all the defensive plays. It's all him. And if I'm Satterfield, I'm just, yeah, like, like, fuck everybody else. You guys have been, I've been getting skewered for three years now. It's me. Everything good that happens is all me. I'm taking all the credit for it. Um, but his, uh, Scott's D is going to have to be up to the task this weekend against Wake Forest because, look, they're, they're going to put up points regardless. Um, which yeah. lead, leads me to my next topic of conversation. We know Wake's going to score. I think the question is what's going on with this Louisville offense? Because there's no point in, in trying to dance around it. Malik was downright bad against Pitt. He did not look – he made a couple of big plays with his feet like he always does. He did not throw the ball well. The The two touchdowns that he completed were to wide-open guys. He almost underthrew our boy Josh Lifson from, from KCD. Um, Lifson made a, a nice little rolling catch there in the end zone. But what what's up with Malik? I mean, I, I don't think that it's a stretch to say – if we get the same Malik Cunningham that we got against Pitt in these last five games, there's no way that we're winning more than two. We may not even win two. Like, like we need him to be markedly better to have any shot tomorrow afternoon against Wake Forest. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and, you know, obviously he was coming off a week where, uh, you know, he didn't play, but um, definitely looked a little rusty. That one touchdown throw where our KCD boy had to scoop it off the ground, that was kind of a tough throw because he had to kind of loop it over the defender a little bit. So I'm not going to give him too much shit on that one. But, yeah, he, he definitely missed some guys. Um, I, I don't know, man. I'm not trying to start a controversy like or anything. I will say just when Doman's back there, he just seems a little more calm and is like, uh, able to stand a little bit taller in the pocket where Malik got it's like he gets back there he makes one read and then like hey it's time to take off where it looked like Brock was maybe working through his progressions a little bit more and I'm not saying Brock like was a world beater in the game and or anything like that although that one completion to Tyler Hudson basically won us the game um, but yeah Malik's got to play better uh Luckily, I think Travion Cooley coming alive late in that game almost bailed us out a little bit. Um, but when you're going against Wake, I mean, you're going to have to match everything that they're doing, and it's going to be tough. Like, I watch Wake. Um, I've bet on one college football game this year, and I picked Wake money line against uh, Florida State, and I watched the entire game. I mean, my God, like every time they had to make a play, they've 
their receivers are unbelievable first off and Hartman just puts it exactly where he needs to every single yeah. time. So we're we're gonna have our work cut out for us, no doubt. Is there a more annoying offense to watch as an opposing fan than Wake Forest? Like this because you watch them and you're like, this shouldn't work. You shouldn't be able to like stand back there and hold the ball in your running back's chest while both of you are like not moving your feet at all. Yeah. And then and then either pull it or give it to him. And yet it's one of the most effective offenses in the country every year. Hartman's awesome. I hate to say this because I think he's an asshole, but Dave Clawson is a hell of a coach. I, uh, um, let's go back to Clawson because when, okay. Scott, when Scott was, like, reeling a couple weeks ago and people were throwing out names and stuff for, like, hey, who's going to be our – like, as, and I, as much as I hate the guy, like, I was like, would that be a name that I would, like, put in the uh, – you know, put in the ring there because he's just done an unbelievable job. And, like I said, I can't stand the guy, but – like, I feel like he'd be a guy, if he was on your side, I'd be like, you know what, I could get behind this guy. Uh, he's a pretty damn good coach. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought that was interesting. No, I mean, he's annoying because he he rips on the refs. He bitches about everything. But as, I mean, a, a fan, you want your coach doing that. Like, we got right. so mad last year in the Wake Forest game because he was doing that. And we it certainly felt like Wake Forest got some calls because – Clawson was constantly just bitching in the left ear of whoever the sideline judge was, and Satterfield was not really saying anything. And I think that there were a lot of fans that were saying, like, yeah, this guy sucks and he's annoying, but it'd be cooler if our coach was a little bit more like him just so we could have a fighting chance here, especially in an ACC road game, which was you know so nip and tuck. But he clearly, I mean, you don't turn Wake Forest into a damn near perennial top 25 right. team which is what he's done if you don't know what you're doing he's a, he's a hell of a coach I, I guess i'm surprised he hasn't gotten more looks from other power five schools and yeah. maybe that'll come this off season but he's a damn good coach no he, he for sure is i just think he's a douche but whatever yeah no. would i take him at my school probably I, it wouldn't be the first time i've accepted a douche but no uh, you're exactly right like they're they're frustrating to watch and i guess they used to be more frustrating to watch when they put up all these points because i'd be like how the fuck are they doing this? But like the more you watch over the years, like they just develop wide receivers every single year. Like they always have studs at wide receiver. It's unbelievable. And and this year is no different. Um, so it'll be interesting. Cause God, we pressured Pitt so much. It seems like, um, and I don't know, you know, I'm not like a football guru. I don't know if that's the same way you approach this game or if it's more like kind of a sit back and, you know, play more coverage. But I'll be interested to kind of see how our defense plays it the first couple drives. It's an interesting series because Clawson and Satterfield have known each other for a long time. They've obviously now coached against each other, what, three times. And neither side has shown any real ability to stop the other on yeah. defense like it's no like it's no like secret what Wake Forest is going to do offensively it's not really a secret what we're going to do offensively and yet look at these scores the last what 4 years 56 to 35 62 to 59 45 to 21 and then 37 to 34 last year like points are going to be scored in this game, and, and that's why I say like if we don't get a markedly better Malik Cunningham, it feels like we don't have much of a chance. It does sound like Ty and Evans may play, which is a, a nice little boost as well. Although, like you mentioned, Travion Cooley's been uh, looking better and better each week that he's gotten some you know more touches. I think the off. I mean, 
we just got to get some separation from our receivers, and we have to have Malik be better. There's there's no if ands, or buts here. Let me ask you this, because we've got a – you're contractually obligated, if you're in Louisville again talking about this game, to refer to Wake Forest as a top-10 team on every single mention because they technically are number 10 in the AP poll. But with a lot on the line here, and I don't – like a win over Wake doesn't take you into like a ACC – top tier team it doesn't turn you into like a new year's six bowl contender but it does completely i think change the way that you look at this overall season and certainly sets up for a season that when we look back at it you know afterwards looks a lot better than we thought it was going to two or three weeks ago but more importantly i think it changes the entire trajectory of the scott satterfield era at louisville and maybe the entire trajectory of the program but it's also just a top 25 win we haven't had hardly any of these since we joined the ACC. In fact, since we joined the conference, we've had just one win over a team that ended the year ranked in the top 25, and that was that 2016 win over Florida State. So let me ask you this. If Louisville beats number 10 Wake on Saturday afternoon at Cardinal Stadium, it's the biggest U of L football victory since when? Probably since the bowl game in Scott's first year, I would say. Um, I, I can't think of... Uh, and, and I mean, even that, like, you know, it was Mississippi yeah. State when they were like, you know, starting what's his name? I can't remember their backup at the time, but it's um, Keaton Thompson It's the guy who's a receiver at Virginia. Now. That's right. So, yeah. And then, I mean, even that doesn't even seem like a, you know, a, a huge win. So in the Scott Satterfield era, uh, I mean, you might want to put it at the top, depending on, I guess, how the rest of the season plays out. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think like. There's definitely, I don't want to say like a full re-energizing of the fan base, but I think the fan base has a little more pep in their step after the last two weeks. Um, I expect a pretty good turnout at the game. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. It's so funny just how the ACC is viewed like in the national landscape. Um, And I guess like even how I view it, because – yeah, Wake, they, they beat Florida State at Florida State. They take Clemson to, what, overtime, double overtime, and lose. Yet at the same time, I'm like, would I rather play Wake Forest at home or would I rather play, I don't know, like what's Old Miss rank, like 21st, or like Old Miss at home? I would probably rather play Wake Forest. And um, I don't know, I, I guess just even though they have a higher ranking, I guess just – for whatever reason, like the ACC is just kind of viewed as obviously shittier football than some of these other conferences. But from a resume standpoint, I do think it would be uh, probably the biggest win in the Scott Satterfield era. I, I do too. And I think you brought up the bowl game, which I think is the only potential answer besides the other one, which is the that Florida State game previously mentioned in 2016. Which, like, I would actually argue that this win on Saturday would be more important than the bowl game because bowl games have kind of yeah. lost lost value over the years, and it was it was it's nice to win them, but when you lose them, you know, you just well, you I thought it was going to carry momentum into like next season, and obviously, you know, we lose Mackay Becton, and um, you know, with obviously the next season didn't work out, so we didn't really gain any momentum from it. Yeah, I mean, the bowl game was impactful in that regard. You're right. I mean, you look at 2020, which was the COVID season where we had Notre Dame join the conference, and it was 15 teams playing in one big league. There were no divisions. And Louisville was picked to finish fourth going into that season in the conference because 
you know, they had momentum. They had in large part because they had eight wins and won a Music City Bowl, but and then they ended up finishing, I think, thirteenth, which was not great. Yeah, that was but bad. Uh, like I, I think this would be the biggest win for Louisville football since that Florida State game in twenty sixteen, which is pretty remarkable to say. We just we've been in this spot a number of times since then with both Petrino and with Satterfield, and haven't gotten the job done. And if they can, because like you said. There, yeah, it's a top ten team coming to town, and yeah, we're only four and three, but the line is only three and a half or four, and it's gone down consistently throughout the week. All the advanced metrics give Louisville a shot. I think the fans know that Louisville has a shot, and it helps that we've been so competitive against good Wake Forest teams in recent years. We should have won that game last year. Yeah, I mean, I think we did win that game last year. We just got fucked over, and the only ranked team that Scott Satterfield's beaten since he's been here was a ranked Wake Forest team in 2019. So. Like, there's nothing that's overly intimidating about Wake. They've been really, really good as a program. They've certainly been better than us in recent years. But I'm with you. Like, if you had a number 24 LSU team coming to town or a number 10 Wake Forest team coming to town, and you ask me who do I pick, I pick Wake Forest. Like, that's just that. That's uh, I think that's a natural thing. Which kind of leads me to my next qu- next question. And this has been, it's always going to be a topic of conversation at, in this area when you're hosting a a top 10 team or a top 15 team. If Louisville wins on Saturday, do you storm the field? Uh, here comes old man Dan. Um, I I don't know. Wake Forest, like, geez. Like, there's some programs, like, that if they carry a top 10 ranking, like, I would accept. Um, and for Wake Forest just doesn't move the needle for me as far as storming the field. Um, if it was... <laughs> You know, and hey, I, I, I'm all, I don't want to be like, hey, don't be the guy that like doesn't celebrate everyone in the locker room. Like, I'm totally cool with that. Um, I, I, I do think for a team that will be five and three and still probably not crack the top 25, just beating a, a team that's ranked number 10 where the line is going to be less than three. I don't know if that is uh, storm worthy, as they say. I'm, I'm with you. Like, I've said, like, I, I get the program has been through a lot. I get that, you know, we haven't beaten ranked teams very consistently recently or at all recently, and I get that Wake Forest is number 10 in the country. But my, my counterpoint to all that is it's Wake Forest. I, I just right. I, 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 I can't I, I can't sign off on it. Having said that, I don't feel strongly about this. Like, if, if, if the kids, if 20 drunk kids decide to storm the field and it leads to everybody else storming the field, I'm not going to hate it. Like, whatever. Like, do whatever you got to do. And also, I think that there are like, like there are levels to this. If you beat Wake Forest, a top 10 team, on, like, a last-second touchdown, then, right. yeah, by all means, make it out there on the field. But, like, in, in a vacuum, I would say no. But I, I also, I don't, it's not my strongest take. I, I don't feel yeah. that I, strong I, with you. I mean, I think if it happened, we would definitely be catching shit from other fan bases being like holy shit they stormed the field that i mean we just had a heisman winner like five six years ago so um granted i know our program has has gone through some stuff but it's not like we've been like kansas where we're like oh and 13 every year so yeah uh, i'm with you you know yeah let's 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 stay in our seats let's stay in our seats that's it's fine um also i wrote a post on card chronicle today actually kind of putting out the timeline of just how weird this rivalry has been over the years. And I, I say rivalry. I don't think either side wants to be the other's rival. Like, like, you know, 
like like Wake Forest, they desperately want to be rivals with the the bigger tobacco road schools. They they want the attention from North Carolina and Duke. Certainly in basketball, they want NC State to be their rival. They don't want Louisville to be their rival. And we look at Wake Forest as kind of like beneath us and everything. We don't want Wake Forest to be our rival. And yet, there's been so much shit between these two programs since we joined the. I mean, hell, since before we joined the ACC, that it's almost impossible. I mean, we played them in the Orange Bowl, the first BCS appearance for both those teams, and that was kind of how our that was our origin story. Of course, Tim Duncan did walk and foul out in the '96 Sweet 16 game and didn't get called for either, so there, there was that. Yeah. Um, but then, I mean, we had the Matt Colburn, the gray shirt controversy, where he ends up at Wake Forest, and it's a blessing in disguise to him. And then he lights us up in three years uh, at, at Wake. We've got the the Wakey Leak scandal, of course, where somehow we get paste point, painted as the villain, even though other schools were doing this, and it was their own guy giving away plays. Somehow, like we're the, we're the bad guy and all that. We had the controversy of you know one coach anonymously in the ACC tells the publication after Lamar's Heisman season that like Lamar will never be an NFL quarterback because he can't read defenses and stuff and somehow it gets back to Lamar that it was Dave Clawson or somebody else on Wake staff we've had that going on we've had you know the the clock operator controversy last year which also we had a clock operator controversy in the basketball game at the Yum Center we had the 2019 game that I mentioned that was 62 to 59 Wake fans think that they recovered that last onside kick and they they remain adamant about it to this day. Hell, you can even yeah. say the Dino Gaudio controversy that we've got at Louisville. Like, Dino Gaudio extorts our head coach, who he and, and Matt go back to their time together at Wake Forest. Dude, it's you're just... missing the biggest one. We took Wake Forest's greatest coach of all time, and now he is on our basketball staff. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, it's the Danny Manning Bowl. This is our first year where we've had him on our side, so... I think that definitely, I mean, that's got to be worth at least two points in the spread right there. The Manning Bowl. It, it's official. <laughs> that's a, a great one. This, I mean, this is the, I, I called it in my my post, America's dumbest college sports rivalry. And I think it is. Like, we, none, neither one of us want to be rivals. The storylines are so stupid and so easily avoidable. But yet here we are. Weird shit happens between Louisville and Wake Forest. There's no other way to describe it. Yeah, and I mean... I just think, like, all the way back to the Orange Bowl, like, me and you were so happy to be there that, like, I, like, legit don't even think, like, we thought for one second about Wake Forest until, like, the actual kickoff. It's like, all right, well, like, what a what a moment. I can't believe we're playing a BCS game, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all right, well, who are we playing here? Wake Forest. And, um, <laughs> but that's kind of like, and, uh, you know, hell, if, if there's Wake fans listening to this that want to drag me, that's fine. But uh, even though they're ranked in the top ten in football, like to me, they're they're one of the afterthought schools of the ACC. Even though like they've obviously been there a lot longer than than we have. So um, I do. Do you think remember, they're... by the way, real quickly? Do you remember in the Orange Bowl when we were tailgating, like the ultimate culture clash? You and I and our buddies are standing around drinking. I think like four of them don't have shirts on. And through the parking lot comes a literal horse and fucking carriage carrying yeah. Wake Forest fans. And one of our buddies is like, I'm sick of all this nice shit. He's like, he's like, let's talk some shit. And he's like, better get your fun in now. Not going to have any when the game starts. And <laughs> these Wake Forest fans in polos and khakis and like dresses like turn around as if we just, you know, said like the most horrifying insult or slur in the entire like 
well, I never. Like, do I declare? It was just <laughs> ultimate culture clash, and that's where my real disdain for Wake Forest started. Yeah, I mean, and, and like, to be honest, I didn't at the time kind of even know maybe the culture of their fan base or anything like that. So um, it, w- it was a little bit of an eye-opener. But, um, you know, with that being said, uh, yeah, we've had some crazy times with them. You know, I- I'll embrace the rivalry if nobody else does. I- I'm-, I'm all for it. Like I said, it's it's fun to kind of talk shit and be like, oh, yeah, they're kind of an afterthought. Um, but, yeah, it, it would uh, it would be nice God, just to fucking see Clawson just kind of squirm a little bit on the sidelines this game. Like, I, I, you know, obviously um, the goal is to win the game, and I, I hope that happens. But I, I like seeing that guy pissed off for whatever reason. Yeah, we had the, the storming the field debate on the show earlier this week, and, and I said what I said on the, the, the podcast, how I was kind of against it. And then somebody texted in and was like, I want to see a storm the field just to see how bitchy and pissy it would make Dave Clawson. And I was like, you know what? That's the best, that, that that's the best actually, argument I've heard so far. I like that, yeah. I don't know. He's got one of those, like, punchable faces. For oh, sure. my God. Yeah, I'd give anything to just punch that. Again, he's a great coach, but I just I cannot stand him. I, I, I Just looking at him drives me crazy. And to see a bunch of Cardinal fans just, like, throwing the L up at his face and him, like, bitching to the ACC about it on Sunday afternoon would almost be worth it. Um, I really want to win this game. I, I don't like them. I don't like... You know, their fans were completely obnoxious after the football win last year. We got fucked down there um, royally. And, like, that win that, that win would have, I think, gave us serious, given us serious momentum early in the season. We were 3-1. and one. We had the, the UCF dramatic win. We kind of had Scott Satterfield. He was back in everybody's good graces. If you win that game on the road against a good Wake Forest team that was 4-0, and like, I think last season could have gone a little bit differently, and they kind of fucked us. So Let me ask uh, you this. Okay. It seems like our our defense is is I don't want to I'm knocking on wood here. It seems Scott like Steve. they're they're turning a corner here. Scott Steve. Yeah. Is there any way that this kind of turns into a, a a lower scoring game? I don't think so. I mean, I if it does, I think we're kind of screwed. Like cuz I think it would just be us scoring lower. Like lower scoring for them is 35 points. It's like last year's right. game where it was 37 to 34. I look I love Scott D. Love love the way that Scott D's been looking recent. I can't imagine that we're going to hold them to below thirty points. I'd love to be wrong about that, but I, I think that you're going <laughs> to. Do we know? Do we know the over under? I'm kind of curious what that is. For some reason, I feel like I'm leaning under this game. Um, let's see. I can look it up real quick. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to guess that it's in the sixties. I, I would say like thirty five. I'll say sixty six and a half. Uh, looks like it's, why is it so hard to buy? It's 64. 64. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's sounds about right. Um, I'll have to dig a little further, but, uh, for some reason, I just, God, we looked so good on D last week. And, um, I know every, it seems like with this team, like one week is different from the next, so you can't really count on it, but, um, maybe they're figuring some stuff out. The other thing to mention about this game before we turn the page here is you know, Louisville's a four or three and a half point underdog in this game, depending on where you look. Underdogs have won four of the last five games in the series. They've covered straight. Uh, they've covered, I think, in six straight. And the only time a, a favorite has won straight up was last year's game 
where Wake was a seven-point favorite and won by three. And as we've already mentioned, we basically won that game. So I'm saying underdogs have won five straight in this game, in this series. And I feel, uh, you know, let's make it six. Why not? feels like no matter what happens, like something wild or crazy is going to happen in this game. Or we're like, it always does. Know. So I don't know. I'm very – I love the 330 time slot. Just absolutely love it. Like, you know, I, I mean, I, I love night games too, but um, – I feel like fans peak at 3.30, so I expect a very raucous crowd. I don't love the 3.30 kick time, and I'm going to tell you why. We have John's first birthday this weekend. Johnny, and boy. We, we scheduled it knowing, like, Mary's got family coming in from out of town, so we apparently couldn't do it on Sunday. I still, like, yeah. Yeah. Still don't. I don't really understand why, but I was there was an explanation given why we had to do it Saturday, and we were, we were picking between this Saturday and last Saturday – and, like, the only thing that was going to fuck it up was if there was a 3.30 kick time. Like, noon was going to be fine, 8 was going to be fine. And, of course, the only 3.30 time that we've had this season and probably will have this entire season happens to be this weekend. So, you know, obviously a lot of us will be watching the game during the party, but it just kind of, you know, I'll be pulling a little bit of double duty, which is not, not ideal. We, we got uh, the whole Sonard clan coming up here. So uh, Colin, Natalie, and, and Baby May and my parents – um, so we'll be, uh, we'll be watching, but we do have dinner reservations at like seven. So I don't know how that's, Ooh, gonna that's, uh, that's dicey. Yeah, I know we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out, but, um, yeah, we'll be rushing home from my son's indoor soccer game to, to see it, but I'll, I'll be juiced up. I know that. All right. We'll get back to the Wake Forest game and make our picks at the end of the podcast episode, but wanted to flip the script, uh, turn the page a little bit to basketball real quickly. We had Louisville Live last weekend. We had the red-white scrimmage on Sunday. Kenny Payne's actually going to talk to the media today at 4.30 in preparation for tonight's Louisville basketball tip-off. It used to be the, the tip-off luncheon. Now they do like a, they're doing like a full dinner type thing, and it's going to be more of an event than it was before. And then Sunday, the team is going to play its first exhibition game against Lenore Ryan, which is coached by former card Everett Sullivan. Um, so that'll be fun to see this team for the first time out there on the floor as they try to. I mean, God, Kenny, we have a, I think, 22-year exhibition game winning streak that dates back to the, the Teddy Dupay game, um, back when you could have, like, semi-pros playing exhibition games. So let's, let's make sure we keep the exhibition streak going. Let's, let's get off on the right foot there and take care of Lenore Ryan. And then Chaminade comes to town uh, next Thursday, which will be kind of fun, even though we don't get to see them in Maui. But let's start with Louisville Live last Friday. It kind of got off on the wrong foot when we find out just hours before the event that A.J. Johnson, who's kind of the guy that we centered this whole event around, was not going to be able to make it. He had said he had an illness in the family, was trying to reschedule. And then Carter Bryant, another five-star kid from the 2024 class, also from California, says like just 45 minutes later, he also is not going to make it. He said he was trying to reschedule um, a visit for early November, but have not heard any follow-up there. The event itself, um, I thought, well, first of all, did, did you get a chance to watch? I, I know it was streaming. I, I honestly, I, I didn't. I, I followed along on Twitter and, um, you know, I, I heard it was, it was, you know, it was neat. Um, it sounds like maybe uh, there was a couple events that got a little chaotic, but, um, you know, I, I think they it, it had, you know, good intentions and, I, I know it sounds like maybe they might, I don't know for sure, but I don't know if Slugger Field is going to be like the venue every year. They might change it up, but that's, it's a hard thing to pull off for sure. It is. Um, it, but I don't know. You probably know more than I do. 
it looked like it, it was a cool setup for the marketing stuff for like the videos, like the video of Jack Harlow coming down the red carpet and, you know, the shots of from the court of the crowd in the stands being filled from what I heard from people who were there was not great for sight lines. If you had the, the, the chair back seats, if you weren't down there on the field with the students, it was kind of hard to see things. I thought just you know, watching from afar, I thought that the first hour or so was good. I thought the player introductions were fun. I thought that was a, a good thing. I thought the, the three-point shooting contest was cool. I like seeing Peyton Verholst win and the, the women's team go nuts. That was that, that was a cool moment. I thought the second hour got a little out of control. I, I mean, the Hot Shots game was never explained. Nobody knew what the fuck was going on at any point. I don't think the people playing knew what was going on. You had 75 different people with microphones just screaming as loud as they possibly could. Nonsense. There was no organization. Nobody knew what they were supposed to be doing. The dunk contest was not great either. It also seemed a little bit unorganized. And also, I mean, we have to bring up the fact that Brent Huntley Hadfield won by dunking on Jack Harlow and not jumping over him. Like, it was, I, I don't know, it was, it was weird. He, he clearly is supposed to jump over him. He doesn't get close to clearing him. He, he, get, he like, backs off of him. He finishes the dunk. And you can tell there's this, like, set, there's this moment after where everybody's kind of like, what do we do now? Like, Harlow's like, I noticed you didn't jump over me and kind of, like, stares at him. Huntley Hatfield is like, do I celebrate this? I made the dunk. And he kind of tells Harlow, he's like, yeah, I made it. Yeah, I made it. And then they celebrate like he, like, did what he was supposed to. It was just an awkward feel to it. I don't, it, like, it didn't, did not go the way that it was supposed to go. But uh, I think overall, as long as the, I mean, here's the, you have to give the, the classic disclaimer. As long as the recruits and tenants had a good time, as long as the you know, the, the people who the, the team felt cool and they they enjoyed the event, that's all that really matters. But at the end of the day, it's going to be remembered for one thing, which is Jack Harlow saying "fuck UK." Yeah, no, hundred percent. I I definitely saw that on Twitter. I don't know. It, tell me what you think. And here we go. Like I, I sound like a thirty-seven-year-old guy, and I'm I'm definitely not keeping up with the kids. Like. I mean, there are some schools that, I mean, they can pull off a, a midnight madness or whatever you want to call it, like, really well. Like, I'm not saying we don't have the resources to do it, but, like, our fan base is, I mean, it's it's one of the most passionate fan bases out there. But we, we do have a little bit of an older fan base, um, you know, compared to some schools. Uh, do you think maybe they'd be like, you know what, maybe we should just put this idea on the And it's for the kids, I get it, and the recruits maybe – you know, maybe they absolutely love this stuff. Um, I'm sure some of them do, but do you think we would ever like shelf this and go back, go back to what, what was my favorite was Petito's first year when he had the open practice and he wore a mic. Oh, oh my God. God. That was literally the greatest thing I've ever been a part of. He's like, Ellis miles is going to get on the baseline and run again because he didn't finish out the drill. <laughs> go ahead, let's give him a hand. Like literally. And it, like, I was like, I love this. Like, it was just him, like, scolding players left and right on the mic. That was when, like, Prelude Davis was, like, we thought he was going to start over Taekwon at the time and everything. Um, that I Like, to me, I was like, this, and now granted, like, no one, there's not a lot of people like Rick, like, with a mic on. Um, but I don't know. Like, it, it sounds like the kids love it. This could just be me, like, yelling into the clouds. I'm not saying they need to, like, cancel or anything like that, but. I wonder if, 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 you know, maybe it starts to get a little stale if, if they would scrap it. I, first of all, I got to go to two practices 
back in the day when Rick was here, and the, the practices behind closed doors are just like the ones where he was because he because he's mic'd up, like he wears yeah. like the full on mic so like everybody can hear him, and he's just as grilling. And like I, I know Ryan McMahon listens to the podcast. I love you, Ryan. I, I, have, I have to tell the story here. It was before his freshman year. Like he drills a three in transition, and Rick is like, "Just shoot it every time you fucking touch it, so you won't turn it the fuck over every time." <laughs> I'm like all, I'm like on the floor trying not to laugh. He's like he's like yeah, right. Just keep shooting every time you touch it, so you won't fucking turn it over. I was just absolutely dying laughing. I mean, he just is so, it's just so passive aggressive, just so sarcastic and snarky with his players. Um, that was wonderful. He also he tried to do midnight midnight madness his first year here, and it was awful. Uh, it was it was terrible. It, that was the year that he tried to give us like rules to to go by as fans, and it was oh god, I forgot about that. Well, but that's like when they had the practice, wasn't it? Or like yeah, I think he was like speaking to the crowd and like telling them like what to do like during the games and stuff. And yeah, that part I, I probably could have got left out. It was like every time we shoot a three, everybody hold their hands up in the air and say three. It was it was the worst shit I've ever seen. Like everybody saw this. They're like, we're, we're not doing this. This is terrible. Um, somebody actually found those rules a while back. And I remember I read them on a radio show. I, I've got to find them again. They were so bad. That's so um, funny. It's like when, when they announced the opposing lineup, everybody after turns around and says, who? After they announced the player's name. I was like, no. It, it lasted for like three seconds. Nobody ever did it. And then Rick was like, well, if you're not going to participate, we're not doing Midnight Madness. But to answer your question, now I think Louisville Live has been a good thing for the program. I, I think, I mean, they still had a huge attendance, relatively yeah. speaking, for, for an event like this. Um, they, I mean, and it w- wasn't without issue because you had Luke Combs was doing a concert downtown. Uh, there was some other festival going on downtown, so parking was a nightmare, and yet still you had pretty much every ticket that could be sold for the, the chairbacks at Slugger Field was sold. You had all the students showing up on out d- down the court. I think it's a good thing. Plus, I mean, Jack Harlow is certainly a name that resonates with the kids, resonates with everybody at this point. When you think about he hosted that event in between hosting gigs on The Tonight Show and then he's hosting Saturday Night Live this weekend. Like, that's a, that's a pretty solid get. What if he says fuck UK on, on SNL this weekend? That, that would, that be, would be nice, yeah. I mean, that seemed to uh, rattle some cages there. So He ends um, the monologue with, like, AJ Johnson, we still want you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah, I mean – have we rescheduled anything there that 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 really kind of took the wind out of my sails a little bit um like and granted it it sounds like there was a situation but you know anytime that comes up like right as as the event it's like uh, okay i know uh, i know i I know yeah it's like and believe me i've been ghosted on dates before (laughs) It's, it's like i've heard of all um, so obviously a red flag went up there. And then when a second player from California has a last second cancellation, like an hour later, you're like, okay, this feels a little bit too close. it's like, it's like she's canceling and her best friend is also not coming to our party. What's going yeah. on here? Like I'm about to get broken up with that. That's how it feels. Um, but I, I mean, hopefully that that's not the case, but we have not heard anything. The only other thing that we heard was. AJ Johnson was supposed to come into town in December yeah. with Donda Academy to play a, a game against um, uh, North Laurel and Reed Shepard, who's going to UK. And then they get kicked out of the event because Kanye West is an anti-Semite. And like it was like, is Kanye West going to cost us our prize fucking recruit from the 2023 class? <laughs> I know it wasn't. I think Trinity's in that tournament, aren't they? They are. They're playing. Yeah. Uh, they're playing hunting and prep. Yeah, God, that would have been. Uh, I, I always like when they like bring the, like some of these like potential recruits in town to play. I always think that's like a a pretty good showcase for our city. Um, so that absolutely sucks that he's not going to be able to make it. And 
I mean, obviously, like first and foremost, I hope he lands on his feet at another school um, here quickly. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I I know a lot of these recruits. You, you know, Kenny seems like someone that is going to have to play the long game. Like he's like a relationship guy. Um, but as fans, like we obviously get a little bit impatient and we want instant gratification and I get that, but it, it seems like he's someone that really has to kind of build his roots and, and develop like relationships over the long term. So I, you know, I'm not like worried or anything, uh, in that regard. Um, I think it is going to be maybe a little bit slower than we initially anticipated though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's the sense you're getting. Louisville, I mean, we've never been picked this low in a conference preseason poll, uh, 12. Yeah. I, I saw Matt Norlander rank the top 101 teams in college basketball. He's got us 100th. Um, that's, we're not used to being around here, and I think it's going to take I – mean, and all of Kenny Payne's public comments, too, have been pretty consistent as far as him saying, like, you know, you're going to have to be patient with us. You know, we're, we're He's not coming out and saying this team is going to suck, but he's, he's coming out and saying, you know yeah. – we're going to get there. It just may not be this year, which I think is is probably the the right way to go about this. And honestly, Chris Mack kind of said a lot of the same stuff before his first season. And when that team wildly overachieved, it was viewed as a wild overachievement. So I think it's the right. I think it's good to set expectations low when you're in a little bit of a rebuild. But is I mean, I have my origin story about how Sebastian Telfair tanked the entire program. You know, we 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 don't have to get Andre McGee if Sebastian Telfair just comes to Louisville or tells us earlier that he's going to the NBA. Now I, w- I worry that we're going to look back and say, you know, Kanye West, maybe take the Kenny Payne era. If it doesn't go well, then we just blame yay for not taking his meds and ruining our whole recruiting cycle. But we'll yeah, see what happens. That's pretty deep. I don't know. Yeah. I will say, yeah. I, 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 you know, I know it's just talking to the media. I, I like kind of some of the terms that, that Kenny uses, especially talking about like desperate defense. Like that's like exactly what I'm looking for. I, and again, I was you know I didn't go I didn't see any of the red white scrimmage unfortunately. Um, that's that's like literally going to be the main thing I'm looking for this year is like are we like playing like our life depends on it because that's like one thing in the Chris Mack era that unfortunately I, I you know besides maybe yeah. like a Dwayne Sutton like I just never saw from anyone. Um, so I'm I'm very anxious for the season to start. I'm actually very nervous for the Bellarmine game. Um, but I'm very anxious to see kind of how we play on that side of the ball. I will say this. The defense was not desperate in the red-white scrimmage <laughs> that's, that's game. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. There were, I mean, I've never seen so few contested shots at the rim. It was just guys driving right around people and then just making layups. Or post guys just getting position and making layups. I think, I mean... Everything that you've heard about this team so far, and granted, we didn't have Jalen Withers or Mike James. They're both dealing with what I'm told are nagging injuries. I think I know Mike James is a, is a hamstring. I'm not sure exactly what Jalen Withers is. Um, hopefully, we'll look a lot better when both those guys are, are available to play. But the what you saw from the team in the red white was kind of what we've heard through various practice reports, and, and probably what you could have guessed just looking at the roster, which is, my God. Stay healthy, L. Ellis. If yeah. L. Ellis goes down, we've got no real other place to go. He's clearly – this is clearly his team. He's the leader. I think he looks like the best player right now. Um, he's definitely the best guard. There's a significant drop-off to Fabio Basili and, and Hersey Miller. Kamari Lands looked very good. I'm not sure if he's ready to 
to like, like step into a dual threat, you know, combo guard role. He he his ball handling looks like it's a little bit off, but he certainly has a he, he looks smooth doing whatever he's doing, and he's definitely going to be a pure scorer for us. Sidney Curry, who's been you know, a lot of people have said he's looked kind of lazy during practice, maybe out of shape. Looked very good, had the best statistical game. Brandon Huntley Hatfield, I think, struggled to get into a flow, but you can definitely see the, the flashes there with him. JJ Trainer looked like a much improved kid playing with a lot of confidence, but on the whole, it looked about like you kind of expected it to look. And when Kenny Payne says afterwards, he's like, he's like, well, it wasn't great, but I've seen a lot worse practices from this group. I was like, yeah, you kind of, you know what you're getting. And, let me um, let me ask you this. Go for it. I'm interested in BHH. Is he going to be someone that we see like banging down low, like in the post, or does he kind of like to like float around like the free throw line for, for jump shots or maybe a combination of both? I think he'll do a little bit of both. I think he's still, I think he's still trying to figure out exactly what his role is supposed to be. That's what it looked like in the red-white scrimmage. And he's, he certainly, if you saw any of his highlights from Tennessee, he's certainly a very capable finisher around the rim. But he also wants to, I think, showcase his game, his NBA skill set, which involves being more of an outside shooter and knocking down face-up jumpers. So I think he may be a guy that he's so talented and he does so many different things well it may take him a little bit of time to figure out exactly what his best use is in the, within this offense. And I think that's also probably extends to the staff. They may it may take them a few weeks to figure out the best way to utilize him in, in our half court sets. But he can do a lot of good good things. I think playing <coughs> alongside of Sidney Curry is also going to be something that he has to. He's got to figure out exactly you know how to play with Curry, a guy who's more limited when it comes to his game outside of 15 feet but it's certainly really effective around the rim it's i mean i, I think with everything it's just going to take a it's going to take a while to kind of get our feet wet i mean Ken, kenny Payne was saying i don't know i may not know how good this team can be until january or february and i'm like well if it's february i think we'll have a pretty good idea <laughs> but uh, there's like three weeks left of the season but i i, I, I don't i think that the entire coaching staff they've got no idea what right. it seems to look like when they start playing games i, I this is kind of how i view it i i would think that just kind of the way Kenny's talked about offense where he wants athletes, you know, drive and kick, stuff like that. Yeah. I would say we are going to be, I don't want to say better off or like make the tournament, but if, if we're a team that like is able to get to the free throw line and really kind of ugly the game up. Oh yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of how, like when I watch Kentucky's games, like that's uh, like, I feel like they just never – I mean, there's some years better than others, but they're they're not the most aesthetically pleasing team to watch. They really just, especially on offense, muck it up, get to the line. Um, I, I would say if that's happening, like I would say that's probably a good sign if we're shooting a lot of free throws because um, I certainly – I don't think this is a team that we're going to want to count on for outside shots most of the time. But um, that and rebounding, I think if we can – accomplish those two i would say things are probably trending the way kenny would want them to at least no i absolutely agree i think if you're looking at this if you're wanting to see this team overachieve to the point that they're in the tournament or at least in the tournament conversation they've got to do two things really well which is rebound and draw fouls if we're not amongst the the acc or the ncaa leaders in those two categories i think we're probably uh, a little bit shit out of luck, but uh, yeah, muck it up. Do the uh, you know remember the the big John Calipari tweak in 2014, which was actually just like telling the twins to put their heads down, right? Drive in the lane and throw up a crazy shot, so they either get fouled or one of their giant dudes gets the rebound and gets an offensive uh, you know second chance opportunity. Like just we may need to play a little bit like that th- just for this year. 
Um, yeah. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. All right, we've uh, we've rambled enough here. We're nearing the one-hour mark. Uh, Dan, you struggle with Dan in the Dumps. You couldn't think of one today. So I think we'll let my, my mic in the mud with uh, the, the birthday party and the game time. That, that can suffice for this week. Yeah. I mean, I did throw out having an egg thrown at me dressed like a clown. <laughs> so, I mean, if that doesn't suffice for Dan in the Dumps, then we're in trouble. But, uh, yeah, no, actually pretty good week. Uh, so we're, uh, we're moving on to Wake Forest. We're on to Wake Forest, which is where we are right now. Um, 3.30 kickoff, ACC Network, number 10 team in the country coming to town, would be potentially the crowning victory of the Scott Satterfield era. What happens? How confident are you? Give me your prediction. Man, it's going to be a close game. Um, I'm, I, I don't know if we're going to get over the hump, though. I'm going to say... We lose 31-27. It's low, would be a, definitely a low-scoring game. Yeah. I said this I said this last week on the radio show. I would have said it if we'd done a podcast, but the path to supreme awkwardness, which is that's how I, I view Scott Satterfield teams, it was laid out perfectly during our bye week because Devin Leary got hurt. Pitt, you know, they, they looked okay the week before, and so you knew exactly how this was going to play out. Six and six was always the, the supreme. This was the disaster it was scenario. Six and six. It's always <laughs> felt like we were headed and it was spiraling out of control towards the six and six finish. And now I think we look at the season. We know how it's going to happen. Win over Pitt, a Pitt team that was not as good as we thought they were going to be going into the season. Lost to Wake Forest, who's a, a very good team, would be a nice win for us. Beat James Madison, who's a at first year in FBS, now no longer looking as good as they did a couple weeks ago. They've lost two in a row. Get hammered by Clemson. No moral victory there. Beat an NC State team that no longer has their star quarterback in Devin Leary, which devalues that win. And then lose to Kentucky in a more competitive but still not overly competitive fashion at the end of the year where it's like a 10 to 13 point loss where maybe it's a one possession game in the fourth quarter, but you still felt like they were clearly the better team. Like, that's the peak awkwardness season. Like, you've got nothing really to hang your hat on, but you've got nothing to bitch about too extremely. And that's why I feel like it has to happen at this point. That's why I feel like it's a foregone conclusion that that's where we're headed. He wants to make this as weird as possible on everybody. I hope I'm wrong about this, but I don't think that we win on Saturday for that very reason. I'm going to say Wake Forest jumps out to an early lead. We kind of go back and forth a little bit, but Wake Forest is always just kind of holding serve for the rest of the game. I'm going to say a higher scoring game than you do. I'm going to say Wake 42, Louisville 31, and we're all kind of back to just purgatory for another week getting ready for James Madison. Um, I, I I hope I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, potentially emergency pod Saturday night. Yeah, no, that, 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 that would definitely be that would that would be um, emergency pod worthy, and I'll definitely have a a couple glasses of cab in me, so it should be interesting. But um, there we go. Yeah, I know. Let, let me ask you this: one last prediction. Okay. Over under a half a series for Brock Doman. Do we see him or not? I think we see him. I think that. I I do too. Satterfield said on Tuesday, Satterfield really didn't, he didn't really try to hide the fact that he's very willing to go to Brock Doman if Malik's not better. Like, he, he he all but said, you know, you you may see Brock. And I think that, because what didn't get talked about was Brock apparently the first series to the second half hurt his hand. Yeah. I'm not sure Brock would have come out of the game if he hadn't hurt his hand at that point. I'm not, I'm not sure they would have just thrown Malik back out there, even though Malik got cleared. 
Um, I, I think that they were ready to kind of roll with Doman and see what he had in that game. And I would not be shocked at all. If Malik's not playing well and it's clear that Wake's offense is doing what they do, that if, if Satterfield gives him, you know, an early shot, maybe early second quarter, late first quarter, just to see how the offense looks with him back there. Um, whoever's back there, here's to getting the job done. Here's to pulling off the upset. Here's to getting a top 10 win. Here's to having, finally, almost universal positive vibes around this football team, this football program. Let's get the job done. Let's go Scott's D. Get all Scott's up in their D. face. Wave that D in their face. Don't let, them, don't let them get out of the way. Let's go Cards. Let's beat Wake Forest. We'll talk to you guys hopefully Saturday night. If not, we'll definitely talk to you next week. Go Cards. Go cards, baby.